Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Episode 235 of the podcast presented by Tick Pick. We're joined by a very special guest today, Armarillo Saad Poodles play-by-play voice, Sam Levitt. Sam, you are actually in New York now. You just finished up your your tenure this summer in the Texas Collegiate League. We're able to pull an audible and actually get some uh, broadcast experience this summer, regardless of the uh, pandemic. Yeah, it was, uh, and it was a, a cool experience and, and certainly valuable to work in the Texas Collegiate League and, and salvage uh, a part of the baseball summer and uh, kudos to uh, the folks who ran that league and, and certainly uh, our Amarillo Solid Poodles organization along with the other minor league organizations who uh, participated in it and gave us an opportunity to have some baseball in our respective cities and gave me an opportunity to call some baseball this summer so that was uh, an unexpected uh, but really good part of the last few months. Now, when everything went down and the season obviously gets canceled, minor league baseball gets shut down for the 2020 season, was that you kind of just uh, going out of your way to find something? Did they reach out to you? How was that all set up? Yeah, Jack, so, so the, the, the two, we had two Amarillo teams that played at our same facility right. that, that we played for the Sod Poodles. So that was you know, being run by our organization. So it wasn't, it wasn't me uh, going out and finding anything. It was, it was them asking me right. to stay for the, the Texas Collegiate League uh, stuff. And um, you know, it's, it's our ballpark and same broadcast booth I use and the same facility. So it was uh, a natural fit. And it was you know, the Sod Poodles asking me um, to stay for that, and, and you know, we were able to to do a, a version of our quote unquote TV broadcast, which was nice. And um, you know, we we pretty much had the same TV operation that we normally would uh, for Double A baseball. So uh, part of that was keeping me there to do it, and um, I'm, I'm grateful that they uh, that they wanted me there and allowed me to call some games this summer. Yeah, obviously building a good relationship there, and now you're back home. Uh, in New York, was there just nothing going on in Armarillo after the season? You have an apartment out there, right? Yeah, so I, uh, so I, uh, so I usually split my year between Chicago and Texas now. Um, and during summer, spring, summer, I uh, work in Amarillo and obviously travel with them. And usually that's for our Double A baseball team in the Texas League Double A affiliate uh, of the San Diego Padres. And then the other part of the year, I typically, the last handful of years, have lived in Chicago and worked from there doing a number of different uh, sports with different colleges, universities, conferences, uh, some TV work as well um, in the Midwest and working from Chicago. So that's been with schools like uh, Loyola Chicago, uh, UIC, Illinois State, um, Big Ten Network, uh, a variety of different things. I I mix and match uh, kind of. Uh, as I go during the course of the fall and winter, uh, but obviously uh, at this point, a lot of uh, a lot of those conferences have called off fall sports um, mm-hmm. until uh, you know we'll, we'll see what happens with college basketball. But for at least the, the, the next few months, uh, aren't playing anything. So I'm originally from New York, and it, it felt like a, a good time to come here, 
uh, for at least a little while, uh, reset. You know, it's been a long time since I've uh, lived in New York for any extended period of time. Yeah. Basically, somebody who uh, left for college and really has not been back in, in a real way. So, you know, I'm trying to, you know, like I think a lot of us are during this time, I'm trying to uh, take the positives and um, stay positive. And uh, I am I'm enjoying being here uh, in New York. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think everybody is uh, just in kind of kind of wait and see mode. I mean, I, I know we have, you know, Major League Baseball back and the NBA and the NHL. And, you know, we'll see what happens with college football and some of these conferences that still plan to play. Uh, but much like everybody else around the, the sports casting business, uh, we're, we're still kind of in uh, wait and see mode. And hopefully we have some better days ahead. Now, did you have anything specifically lined up when it came to fall collegiate sports? Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I, I work, you know, I work for all those right, different yeah. universities, and in a, in a normal year, I would have, um, you know, in, in a normal year, normal circumstances, not in the midst of a pandemic, um, you know, I would have done my usual season uh, with Sod Poodles, and then, you know, moved on and got right back to Chicago and, and kept on working with the places I work, uh, I work for there, yes. So I want to go back to you, obviously, in New York right now, growing up in New York. Talked a little bit before, grew up a Mets fan. I listened to you on Ray and Donovan's show, Friars on the Farm. I'll give them a shout-out because they're great guys. They do the same for me. But for you, growing up a Mets fan, you talked about kind of going to games at Shea Stadium alone, listening to games on the radio as well. Just give me like a whole, like a little perspective on what that was all like growing up for you. Because I know me growing up, big Yankee fan in uh, northern New Jersey in the Morristown area, uh, going to Yankee games all the time, whether it was by myself with a couple of buddies. What was that whole experience like for you and why'd you do it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I grew up a big, big baseball fan. I mean, my my dad was a huge Mets fan, which made me a huge Mets fan. Right now I'm sitting uh, talking to you from my my childhood room and I'm looking at a a picture of Mike Piazza on uh, on my wall so (laughs) that's kind of the the era I come from um, growing up in the 90s and in 2000s um, and and just love the Mets I mean I was that that kid in middle school and that kid in high school that was known as that huge 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 crazy uh, Mets fan and you know, and then ended up, as I got older, you know, I would always go to Shea Stadium growing up, uh, you know, with my family and, and uh, with my dad. And, you know, as I got older and more independent, you know, would go there during the summer on my own, take the train yeah. and, and, you know, sit in the upper deck. And, and then obviously we'd do it at City Field when, uh, when that got built late in my high school days. Um, but, you know, you know, the Mets were, were my first love, um, you know, and that's how I, I grew up around around baseball and becoming the fan I did and obviously that, that ultimately leads me to where I am now which is a, a broadcaster and somebody who works in baseball um, but but the initial start was going to Shea Stadium and uh, you know being a baseball loving kid and um, you know it's it's still some, some really special memories to me What was uh, obviously like the Jerry Coleman's, the Howie Roses the Gary Cohen's of the world Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling in my opinion best broadcast trio in baseball were they big influences when you decided to pursue broadcasting? Yeah, you know, it's funny I was not not somebody who you know, even though I was a big baseball fan I was not somebody who you know, knew they wanted to do this from the time they were 10 years old and had a toy microphone sitting in front of the TV and I know a lot of people have stories like that Uh, that was not my story I mean I I went to Northwestern and 
I got there, I was not in broadcasting. I was pre-med and just sort of fell into it and started doing it and to this day haven't stopped. But now that I think about it, subconsciously, there were definitely undertones um, of those influences. You know, I was always somebody, like I said, when I would, you know, go to Shea Stadium by myself, (laughs) you know, in high school, I I would always bring a little transistor radio and listen to the radio. Um, So there are definitely undertones of that. And now, you know, I've been lucky to to create relationships and, and, um, you know, friendships with guys like Howie Rose and Gary Cohen. Um, and, and that's been a really cool part of, of working in baseball and working in broadcasting has been to be able to talk to some of those broadcasters and people that I really look up to. I mean, I'm just like you. I mean, I think yeah. Gary, Keith, and Ron are, are tremendous, um, and Howie is tremendous. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm as, you know, I'm huge fans of, of all those broadcasters. And obviously, because I listen to Gary and Howie and, um, you know, going back further to, you know, the great Bob Murphy and Ralph Kiner, um, you know, I, I like to think that I take influences uh, from all those broadcasters and um, they're part of, of who I am as a broadcaster. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, uh, it, it, I, I've always looked up to them and now it's been a, a really cool experience to get to meet a lot of those people. Um, and, and really get to know them, and, and they've been uh, great mentors and uh, have provided me with a lot of guidance, which has been uh, invaluable. I mean, that's awesome, man. And for you, listening to games, like you said, on the radio while you're in the stands, you mentioned that that wasn't your original plan to be a broadcaster. Obviously, going to Northwestern, that's when you kind of uh, had your eyes open to the idea of it. Why Why listen to the radio? Why kind of like study uh, their craft at Shea Stadium? Like, What was your whole intent there at the time? Yeah, you know, I don't think it was really studying a craft because I had never done it before. Yeah. That's not really where my mind was. Um, you know, when I, I mean, I still do it when I go to games or like, you know, the last handful of years, I'll go to a Mets game. Like, I, I still go alone um, <laughs> in a normal year. Like, yeah. you know, I, I would normally finish up my minor league season in September and almost always after the minor league season is over, I'll, I'll usually come back to New York for at least a week or two. Um, you know, just to see my parents and before I head off to Chicago or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always try to get over there a few times and, and city field now. And I'll, I'll do the same thing and still listen to those guys. Um, and I, and I listen to broadcasts, you know, whether it's the Mets or, or other teams all the time. Um, and, and that is now more studying my craft, but, yeah. but back to your original question. I mean, at that time it wasn't, it wasn't me really studying anything. It was just the way I consumed the game. Like I enjoyed listening to the radio, just like a normal fan would, um, while they're there, you know, that's a very common thing, you know, maybe less common of people of my generation, but certainly of older generations of, of listening to the radio while you're at the game. And it's, yeah. it's cool because, you know, you, you get a lot of, um, it just adds a lot to your experience. And for me, when I would go alone, because I'm sitting there and, and I don't have anybody to talk to, like I, I feel like that's a big reason why I did it too, um, was it, 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 it gave me somebody uh, in my ear, which was uh, always a nice experience. And, you know, I always felt like your experience of watching the game while you're there was enhanced by listening to the radio while you're physically at the game. And, and the cool thing now is that, like for the Sod Poodles, you know, I have dozens of people who almost every night when they're when we're when we're at home, 
do that same thing. Yeah. Um, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, now that I think about it, a, a pretty full circle kind of, kind of deal. And at that time, going to games yourself, because I'm the exact same way. I, I've been to countless Yankee games by myself. I'm listening to John Sterling and Susan Waldman on the radio. What was it for you specifically, like you just uh, doing things your way, going to the games by yourself and kind of just listening to the radio in that sense? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think back in high school, it was more so that, you know, I wanted to go a lot more than other people wanted to go. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, nobody, nobody was as big of, uh, of a fan as I was. So if it was a random Wednesday night in the summer, and I had all kinds of summer jobs and, and things like that, but like I'd be raring to go every night. Yeah. And there would be times like, you know, when I was late in high school, my junior, senior year, where the Mets would have a homestand, I would go, you know, for half the homestand or, or whatever it might be. And for me, because we're on the South Shore of Long Island, like it was very easy for me to get there with the railroad. And, um, you know, so that's just what I did. And I loved it. Like, you know, I just loved the Mets and I loved going to games and it was like who I was and what I did and um, you know I wouldn't have it any other way. So being a huge Mets fan growing up saying that you, you were re- ready to go every single night and I can relate to that but originally didn't pursue broadcasting until college why not pursue anything like in sports at that time? You know it, it just wasn't on my radar yeah. um, you know I went to Northwestern, and you know it just—it just wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I had done—you uh, know—I worked for the school newspaper in high school, and actually had a few um, newspaper internships. Not a few, I actually uh, interned at a, a local paper called the Nassau Herald here on the of the South Shore of Island in Nassau County, and. Um, you know, and those were good experiences, and, and actually, I took a journalism class at NYU um, during one of my summers in high school, during like a high school program. And um, you know, now that I now that I say it and think about it, it wasn't that you know the, the idea of journalism or writing or being in that world was was something that just popped out of nowhere. I did have an interest in it, but I think when I went to Northwestern, I, I didn't consider a really doing it or b getting into the broadcast part of it like i did know when i got to school that i wanted to join the student radio station um because that interested me and uh and in that part of it i do think comes from you know i i grew up and you'll relate to this like i grew up listening to wfan and um and and z100 and like was always really into that kind of stuff yeah like i was really into listening to wfan listening to mike francis and and mike mad dog and listening to joe and evan and you know now that i think about it it was all there just took me a while to translate that into actually doing it um but when i got to school i mean it just wasn't my focus like you know, I was taking chemistry, like, you know, it, it was, it, I was the normal student in the College of Arts and Sciences, and, um, you know, when I, when I started working at the student radio station, I really gained an interest in it, and, you know, I just think I realized I didn't really want to pursue the pre-med track, and, and it was, you know, more than anything, the, the broadcast side of things and working for WNUR, the student radio station, it you know, more than anything, it, it just sparked a real interest for me and a real love of doing it. And um, at a certain point, I decided to really go full force into it, and here I am. So going into college, what kind of turned you on to pre-med? You know, that's an interesting story, too. So so I 
during high school, I was an emergency medical technician um, at a couple of volunteer ambulance companies. So, uh, you know, it was something that a cousin of mine did, and my parents were really into me trying it out and doing it because it was a, a really cool extracurricular activity and something that was really good, a college application. Yeah. And, and I ended up, when I was 15 or 16, starting at an ambulance company called Belmore Merrick EMS. Uh, here on Long Island and work there and I wasn't a licensed EMT yet um, but you could be like a junior EMT and you could work around the station and even be on the ambulances without being a quote unquote licensed EMT right. um, so but then I, I when I turned 18 I took the EMT exam passed it and for a while I believe I was the youngest EMT in New York State because wow. the testing date actually fell, up, fell on my 18th birthday <laughs> and you, it was a kind of test where you just took it that day and they approved you that day or said you didn't pass that day. Yeah. And so until the next testing date, which wasn't for a couple of months, I, I, there couldn't have been a younger UT. <laughs> wow. So, um, you know, so that was that was what I did in high school. And then I, I really started working at the ambulance company and I would take calls and, you know, ride in the ambulance and we would show up at people's houses and, you know, and, and that actually translated to, I worked at City Field um, for another volunteer ambulance company that serviced City Field called Corona uh, Ambulance Corps, I think is the full name. It's in wow. Corona over there in Queens. And uh, for a couple of summers, or now that I think about it, at least one summer, I think I did a little after my summer, the, the summer after my freshman year, but certainly my the, the summer between my senior year of high school and going to college, um, worked, worked at City Field and was part of the emergency medical staff and I would get to go to games and we would, uh, every game was a little bit different. Some games you would respond to a bunch of emergency calls in the stadium. Um, you know, you would be amazed and I don't mean to sound this in a positive way, but you know, it, it was really something to see how many instances there are like that yeah. over the course of a game in a ballpark. When you think about it, you know, there are, let's say, 30,000, 40,000 people there. It's hot. There's alcohol. And, uh, you know, things happen. You know, people get overheated. People get hit by foul balls. And uh, a lot of it, every game was a little bit different. There were some games where we would barely have anything medical to attend to, and some other games where I wouldn't see a pitch, where you would be running around to person to person. You know, it, it was a myriad, a, a myriad of things from people getting hit by foul balls to um, oh my God. overheating to, yeah, it was, you know, it was, you know, a very valuable experience for me i mean you know the whole thing being an emt and riding on the ambulances and um very unique i mean not many people can say they've had that kind of experience let alone have it at 18 so um you know i've i've always thought that that no matter what or what i've done or what direction i go in that that was always a really uh valuable experience so that was Um, something you were passionate about yeah, yeah, and, and that's why, and that's why when I went to college, that's that was the pre-med part of it. Yeah, you know, that, that wow, was, that was the background of that. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, th- those were really you know valuable experiences for me that taught me a lot, and, and you know were very adult, and um, and uh, you know certainly uh, just you know things that that make you grow up and, and develop you. So um, yeah, and, and getting to do it at City Field was. Uh, was a really interesting thing, and for me as a big Mets fan, like yeah, I, I would be lying if I said that the ability to go to Mets games wasn't a big part 
of why I work for that specific company for that yeah. Um Because you got to go to the games, and, and when you weren't running around to a, a, a call, you would just stand there and watch the game, basically, because you're just on call. So you're just standing there, and sometimes the radio goes off a bunch during the game, and sometimes maybe you have a couple, but you just stand there and watch the game. So to me, it was like, okay, this is cool. I can work and do the medical stuff and just you know, be at the games for free. So I mean, so, that's you know, a, that was, uh, that was kind of cool. That, I mean, that's definitely a neat story because then you transition yeah. over into what is basically a storytelling business on the broadcast side. And there you are uh, beforehand pre-med major uh, going in uh, to that realm of things and getting to actually go to city field and, and get to experience it there. Were there any uh, standout experiences from that? Um, like any know, instances? Yeah, I can't recall of anything that really stands out, um, you know, as far as games or, you know, the, keep in mind the Mets weren't very good. Right, <laughs> yeah. Time, that was that was 09 and, and 2010. Uh, so from the baseball standpoint, it wasn't like I was going to games that, that were uh, all that exciting or for a team that was really, really good, although I at the time didn't really care. Right. Um, but I can't think of any specific night or instance or game, uh, but the overall experience of just getting to do it and working for the ambulance company and everything that came along with that and seeing how that worked inside a stadium of like, like that, uh, that was a really, you know, really neat. So when you uh, obviously have your eyes open to the broadcasting world at Northwestern, what was it for you? Like, what kind of flipped that switch? And what was your first gig in college from a broadcasting perspective? My first gig in college was with WNUR, uh, the student radio station. And I started at the very bottom there. And, and I'll never forget the first time I was on air was during a sports update during our our newscast uh, on WNUR, and I did it uh, with an upperclassman named Cody Dunlap, and I still have the recording of it, actually, and, um, you know, I did that, and I did, uh, there were, the, we used to have a sports talk show on WNUR on Sunday nights, and I would do some of that, and, uh, you know, it just took off from there, you know, I started doing more and more of it, and while I was taking chemistry in the science classes during the day, in the evenings, I was taking the intro classes for the middle the, the middle school of journalism, and um, that was really interesting because that was something that I didn't really need to do. Um, but I, I kind of knew that again, going back to when I worked at the school newspapers and things like that, I knew that was an interest of mine. You know, being in journalism, and I didn't know what avenue I would go with it, but I knew that it was something that interested me. Um, so I, I took those those intro classes at night um, with a great professor named Clarence Waldron, and I had a number of other great professors. And um, that was my first taste of it. My freshman year was doing stuff at WNUR, taking those intro classes at night. And by the time I got back for my sophomore year, I decided that I was going to transfer into the School of Journalism at Northwestern. And from that point, I really... I really took off with it, um, you know, and started doing more WNUR, started calling games, started doing uh, Big Ten Digital Network games, started working for the student TV station, Northwestern News Network, on their sports show twice a week called Sports Night, and I was doing everything. Like, I, wow. I had a hand in everything going on that campus broadcast-wise, um, you know, along with then being a full-time journalism student. Uh, as well, so that's um, that's kind of how it went, and I ended up, 
you know, during college working in the Cape Cod Baseball League yeah. for a couple of summers, and um, and I went off from there. And like I said, I, I fell into it in a way and haven't stopped since. Do you have access, like, do you ever look back at your first ever, like, broadcasts and first ever things, like you mentioned, on the Sports Night Show and just think to yourself, like, man, I've definitely evolved and, like, this is not as good as I thought it was at the time. Oh, that's, like, the, the name of the game. Yeah. Yes. Um, I will tell you, there is nobody who thought they were better uh, than I thought I was when I was in college. There's nobody who stunk more than, <laughs> than me in college. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny to look back on that stuff now. I, you know, it's so bad. And I thought it was good at the time, which is the scary yeah. part. But, you know, I think I think everybody, for the most part, and I think, different, I think everybody's different. Um, I think most broadcasters for the for for the most part start off like that where and, and by the way you should feel like that when you go at i'm 28 now when i go back to listen to something when i was 19 and just starting and had no experience i should go back to that and cringe at that right right um it's like anything it's like a painter who has his first painting it's like a a musician who goes back and listens to the first demos he put together like obviously you're going to be light years light years light years different person better 10 years later right um so you should feel that way but um but yeah i you know going back and listening to that stuff now and i do have a lot of it uh is is funny and cringy all at the same time because what's cringy about it is i thought i was good right i thought i was killing it back in college and i was awful like i we thought we were killing it in the cape cod baseball league and we were awful (laughs) (laughs) we were so bad um but you know that's that's the name of the game and in a lot of ways uh, that's the way it should be now at that time talking about and i'm the same way like i look at it now i'm like it's not so bad but if i look at it five years from now i'm not even gonna want to appear it i'm gonna pull my uh airpods right out was it did you have like a team like a production team that was like kind of like giving you advice in those early stages like kind of telling you like what you're doing wrong what you're kind of doing right and was there anybody that would go out of their way to tell you that it was just not good you know what in college not really and, and this has been a kind of a sticking point for me I, I wish they would do that more and yeah. I can't speak for what they do now I mean I'm, I'm five six years removed right. from Northwestern and, and the college experience but you know outside of you getting graded on things in classes which you know that's a whole other conversation about how much of that really applies to what the world is now as far as content and broadcast and media but at the time, you know, there really wasn't, honestly. You know, there, there wasn't anybody to, especially on the sports play-by-play side, because it wasn't something that McDill really taught or was involved yeah. in. It was just something we did at WNUR. And we would have critiques, sort of, but everybody was nice and everybody wore kid gloves. And, and by the way, the other part of it is none of us were very good, so we didn't even know what right, we were listening yeah. to. Um, you know, from the from the the jump, you know, everybody always thought I had a really good voice. Like that, uh, that was one of the first things that people said to me when I started doing it was like, "Wow, you've got a great voice." And by the way, my voice stunk then too. Okay, mm. <laughs> okay. Now, now the 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 um, the seeds for where I am now were there, but I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, you know, I mean, your voice is an instrument, and I had no idea how to play the instrument 
at that point. I just, <laughs> I just had the guitar in my hand, but yeah. I had no idea how to play it. And by the way, I still, I still improve on that oh, yeah. day after day and, and broadcast after broadcast of how to play that instrument correctly. Yeah. Um, but at the time, not really as far as feedback, you know, and, and I wish now looking back that I had had more of that because I, I, you know, this is a separate conversation, but I think that's such a key part of, of this industry and broadcasting, something we don't talk about enough is that you need honest feedback oh, yeah. and and we talk about reps you know you'll hear everybody in the broadcast business talk about getting reps early on how important that is and no doubt that's accurate but i think that getting the right reps is even more important right you know if you're if you're a baseball player you can you can work on your swing 24 7 if you've got a big hole in your swing it's not actually going to get any better, right? Or right. if you're a, a basketball, I mean, take your pick of the analogy. You know, you've got to practice. You, you hear you hear athletes talk about that all the time, right? You know, practicing the right way. Or if you're, a, I mean, take your take your pick. If you're a piano player, anything creative, anything that takes that kind of skill, um, you got to practice the right way. And, and I wish I would have had more guidance on that back when I was in college. Um, and people really giving me honest feedback, saying, Sam hey, you need to work on this, this, and this. Hey, Sam, you're not nearly as good as you think you are, because I wasn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, again, rambling answer to a very simple question, but at the time back in college, yeah, I mean, there, was, there wasn't a whole lot of that um, from either the professors or your colleagues and fellow students at WNUR. It's just not really the way it was. And, and, and I wish, you know, now looking back on it, I, I wish I had had more of that. Now, was there anybody specifically that could have dropped the hammer on you, like had broadcast experience, like a professional that could judge you guys if you wanted to critique you in a way? Because I know from our experience, like we don't really have that. So like in a way, we can't really be critiqued by someone who hasn't experienced it, right? You know what? That's a good question. I think at school it's hard. And I can only speak from my experience at Northwestern. I think at school it can be difficult on the play-by-play side especially because at least at that time at medill it wasn't something that medill was really involved in it was just something that we did extracurricularly you know at, at wnur and at big 10 digital network um you know i think what what i did a lot was i would send my stuff out to other broadcasters or, or like a lot of people do now um and like a lot of people do to me now um you know, and, and, and try to get feedback from there. You know, again, the one thing I would say is that I even wish when I would do that, I, I wish I would have just told people, hey, just be, you know, be totally 100% honest with me. You know, yeah. say, if I, if I stink, tell me I stink. Right. You know, if there's, if my voice is all messed up, tell me my voice is all messed up. So I'm trying to sound like Mr. Broadcaster and, and talk like this, and here's the two, two pick. Like, I want to know that because. You, you know what the problem is? Is is you get so you get so wrapped up in your own stuff that you can't you can't see it. Right. Like, um, this is going to be a funny thing that I'm about to say, but I don't always trust my own ear. Oh right. <laughs> you know, I if I sometimes I can think a call is really good, but sometimes you have to go and get that objective outside opinion. From somebody that's not in it, from somebody that's not invested in it, from somebody that didn't say it, 
um, because I think about sometimes how like the things I was doing in college, I thought they were great. And now I'm like, what were you, what, I mean, what were you thinking? So, right. <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, sometimes I don't trust my own ear, but, um, you know, I, I think that feedback is important. And I, I wish back in college that I, that I had, I would have had more, uh, direct, direct feedback like that. But, you know, some of that is you try to create your own and reach out to people and whether that's other broadcasters or, uh, professionals in the industry. Um, you know, sometimes I think at some of these schools, you have to create that real honest feedback on your own. Was there any, uh, I guess, decent feedback you mentioned throughout college? There really wasn't much, but in your time uh, down at the Cape, I know you're there for a few seasons. What was that kind of like? Because I know in, in summer ball, especially, um, you're going to get feedback from parents, from uh, grandparents, relatives, whatever. But I know they also have a few, uh, uh, a few good like broadcast directors, at least now on some of those teams. Did you have any feedback down at the Cape? Yeah, we, you know, we didn't have a ton um, from people at the team or fans or parents or things like that. I will say. What was really influential to me when I was on the Cape was I, my partner was a guy named Kevin Fitzgerald, who is still one of my best friends today. Um, and Kevin, you know, has gone on to do really great things as well and, and, you know, works for SEC Network now and is a really, really good broadcaster, great broadcaster. And, you know, it was funny. I think Kevin opened my eyes during our two summers there to, I wouldn't say critiques of my work, but things that he did that I took away from him, both on the broadcast side, the prep side, the content side, the work side, just working really hard, and like the networking side too. And he was coming from a different school in Syracuse that I think focuses a little bit more on the play-by-play side and their sports undergrad community uh, than necessarily Northwestern does. So there were a lot of things I picked up from Kevin and from what they were doing in Syracuse um, that I just wasn't privy to um, before that, you know, that I just didn't see. And so there were a lot of things like that from him as far as uh, a learning experience on the Cape that I that I really took away and from other people on the Cape as well. I mean, you have tons of Syracuse students and tons of Northwestern students, and now like Arizona State has tons and tons. Oh, yeah. Of broadcasters, but there there were a lot of things that I learned from being around those other people um, that that I think to this day really have influenced me in a big way. At the college level, how much um, like color commentary experience did you have? Because I know, like speaking from our experience doing color, like it's not really like an option because usually it's yeah. a former player, you know. But like you're kind of a, you're a student worker, so you're kind of put in that position. In your experience of doing color commentary, what do you try and take away from that when you're doing it? Like, are you trying to make it so it's kind of like you're doing play-by-play, or is it, are you, like, full in on doing color commentary? Because, again, like, once you get to the level you want to get to, you're not going to be doing that. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, look, I think there are two very different skill sets. Um, you know, it was interesting during this little Texas Collegiate League season because typically during the normal Soft Poodles broadcast, I have partners. Yeah. Um, you know, I have three. Uh, I have three analysts that I rotate during our home games, and I'll go on the road and do those solo. But during our home games, I've had at least in 2019, I only have one season now to, to tell you about. But um, you know, I have three different people that would rotate and be my analyst. Um, you know, during the, the TCL games. 
it was just me. I went solo, and that was, um, you know, that was mostly from a social distancing perspective of me being in the booth alone. And, yeah. and we have a big press box, but we had we were really spread out in there uh, throughout our booths because they were trying to create more space uh, for our production room and our writer's area, which which obviously was important and made a lot of sense. So it, it, it ended up just being me in the booth, which was a big reason why I did these games solo. And it, it meant that I had to put on my color commentary yeah. analyst cap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and for two reasons. Number one, because when you show a replay, which we do a lot, or that's just one example, you know, I've got to talk about what's going on in that replay. Um, you know, and even though I'm not an analyst and I don't have that skill set, I don't necessarily have those experiences to, to base that analysis off of, I've got to do the best job I can. And I know the game and I watch a lot of baseball. So, right. so I, can, I can say certain things and um, that was... That was a really unique part of those games uh, was that opportunity to put on that cap throughout a broadcast. Um, you know, and I'll, also I, I just I had that responsibility as, as somebody who is on solo. Like my job becomes, whether you think I'm a credible analyst or not, my job becomes more than just being a play-by-play broadcaster. Yeah. Like I'm the only one. So um, I would try, and especially as the season went on, one thing I really tried to do was would try to get a little bit more analytical, get a little bit more opinionated, get, and not in a bad way, not in a critical way of the players, but get a little bit more into the weeds of the game and the situations yeah. and not be afraid to, you know, have an opinion or say what I think about this or that or, um, you know, because it was only me. Um, so that it's interesting you ask that because um, it's something that I really had to focus on, you know, in, in July during those games, and, and had to focus on okay, how do I, how do I, you know, delve into that world a little bit, delve into that commentary part of the broadcast that yeah. unfortunately we don't have an analyst for uh, right now. By the way, I'll also say this. I, even in, in, in a normal broadcast, I don't think that those two jobs have to be so separate. Yeah. Like the play-by-play broadcaster can't you know, possibly say something or have an opinion or break something down. Like, it's a, it's a tandem. It's an orchestra. You know, it's a, it's a symphony. I mean, it should be a, a concert of, of thoughts and ideas and play-by-play. Right. And that's what a, to me, that's what a really good broadcast is. Um, you know, you can you can listen to some of the greats do it. Like I was, you know, one of my favorites is Brian Anderson. Who I was, you know, yeah. and I, I, I know him now well, and you know, I was watching him do some of the NBA last night. And you know, part of what makes Brian so good, and a lot of broadcasters at that level so good, is that they just flow. They flow with their analyst. It's not just play by play. It's it's just a conversation. You know, it's just a conversation around a game and. You know, yeah, there's play-by-play elements to it. Yeah, he calls shots. Sure, of course. But it's a conversation. And, um, you know, like him and Chris Webber, they just, they're just having a talk right. <laughs> for a few hours uh, around the game. And I think that's, uh, that's the way you want it to be. Now, how rare do you think that is to have that great chemistry with your color guy? Do you have any uh, personal uh, experiences where you just gelled with your color commentator? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think for the most part, um, you know, the analysts we have at the Sod Poodles, I think from day one, we, we, you know, we meshed really well, you know, me with all three of them. 
Um, everybody's a little bit different, and I do think in some ways, you know, I was working with three analysts, and they would tell you this, that really had never done it before, and had never done it at this type of level before. Um, you know, so that was a learning curve, and, um, and getting used to each other, and, and there were times where, you know, after games, we would talk about certain things, and, you know, and just aspects of what we were doing, and, and how we could improve things, and and here and there, and nothing, nothing negative, nothing yeah. overly critical, but you know, just just an honest, an honest assessment of certain things we did well and certain things maybe we didn't so do so well, and, and a lot of the times that falls on me too. Right. You know, what can I do better to to make my analysts better? And I, and I do think from the play by play standpoint, you know, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, I, I guess you could say some analysts are more polished than others or have more experience than others but i do think even if you're working with somebody that's relatively new some of the responsibility does fall on the play-by-play broadcaster to make that person better you know so so yeah so if they're new if they're a little green you know okay well we'll take that as a challenge okay well how can i how can i help my analyst how can i set them up better how can i make them better um, because especially with TV broadcasts, the play-by-play broadcaster is just the orchestrator. Yeah, you know, you're you're just you're just orchestrating the broadcast and weaving things in and out. It's really the analyst show, um, you know, and and they really get into the weeds of things and and oftentimes have the bigger personality, um, you know, and and the play-by-play broadcaster, you know, you're spitting out facts and figures and calling the game and working in the sponsors and. Um, you know, but I've been very lucky to answer your question more directly. Like I've been very lucky to work with very, very good people, whether it's with yeah. baseball or basketball or football or, or all the different things I've done over the years, or even when I've had other play-by-play broadcasters, you know, on the radio as my partners. Um, you know, it's I've always been very, very lucky to have really, really talented and smart and good people uh, along the way, which has been cool. Now, to go back to your college days, when you finally get some experience in, in the broadcast realm at Northeastern, when did you decide that it, it went from being a fun thing to do to kind of wanting to do this for a living? You know, I would say when I switched into the School of Journalism at yeah. Northwestern, um, you know, that, that was when it really went from, okay, this is something I might do to this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to dive all in. At it, and, and I will say from that moment that I switched, and from that moment that I started going to Medill. I haven't looked back. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's it's been it's been all in. Um, so that was the moment, and from that point forward, every every move I've made, every job I've taken, everything I've done, everywhere I've lived has been dictated by pursuing uh, by pursuing broadcasting and, and this career. Um, so that, that was the moment um, you know, where it went from, okay, this is something I'm considering, to this is something I'm really going for and doing and going at it 100%. And you just like flip of the switch, like you had no problem uh, leaving home. I mean, I'm one of those kids from Jersey, go to school in Arizona, couldn't wait to get out. I know you like New York, but you didn't have a problem, like you're not like a homebody per se? No, no. I mean, I, I was really lucky. My parents encouraged me to go, and you know, there was no uh, 
there was no, you know, limit on miles that yeah. I could go to college at. I mean, if I had to go to the West Coast to go to college, they were cool with that. Um, you know, and, and obviously the opportunity to go to a place like Northwestern's a, a really amazing one. So that was, you know, the opportunity to go there and, and you know, and live in Chicago and, and, and Evanston and um, be a part of that. I mean, uh, no, <laughs> I was I was ready to go. That, that, yeah. that part of it didn't scare me at all. Um, you know, a lot of my friends did go closer to home. And, you know, I think the harder part of it, quite frankly, um, has been post-college. You know, a lot of the people I, I grew up with here in New York, I mean, you know, you know, being from this area, I mean, most people go to college and they come back. Right. You know, because it's, it's New York and it's this tri-state area. I mean, it's, you know, people people like coming here. I mean, people move from all over the world to come to New York, right? So, oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's been the harder part has been, um, you know, kind of missing out on that post-college uh you know, early to mid twenties life <laughs> being here and all my friends have been here, but you know, I've had a really beautiful experience living in a lot of different places and doing my own thing. Um, and everything that's come with that. So, uh, on the cop, but you know, on the college side, I mean, no, I, I was, I was ready to rock and ready to go. In your experiences, have you had any, uh, place that you, uh, traveled to that you're like, I could probably settle down here. Like this is a pretty nice setup here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. For sure, I, I you know I haven't been the settle down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even, even now, I mean, you know, even now under normal circumstances, my you know my situation was really good. I mean, I've got, in my opinion, one of the best, if not the best, minor league baseball job in the country in Amarillo, and I say that seriously because of the organization and the fans and the stadium and what I get to do there. Um, and also have the freedom to go work out of Chicago for half the year and do a number of other things and work in college sports and do everything I've done there. Um, so even now, you know, I split my year between two places, you know, yeah. I have an apartment for half the year in Amarillo that doesn't have a whole lot because I'm never there usually during the season. Um, and in Chicago, I, I typically sublet still and kind of figure it out year by year. So, um, you know, but like, yeah, of course. I mean, I love Chicago. I yeah. live in Chicago full time. Um, I could live in New York full time. I could live in Amarillo full time. It's just not what I do. Um, you know, I lived in Corpus Christi when I was with the Hooks. I lived there full time for a while. Um, you know, and one of the things that, as somebody from the East Coast and somebody that grew up in a big place, you know, one of the things that broadcasting and working in sports has taught me is the beauty of this country and the beauty of these other cities and these other places and these other ways of life. Um, yeah, I mean, I never thought I would live in Amarillo, Texas. I yeah. never thought I'd live in Corpus Christi, Texas. I lived in St. Louis for a few years after college. Like, I never, if you would have asked me at 16, 17, would have thought that that would be where I lived. You know, I, I mean, I didn't even know what Corpus Christi and Amarillo were. To be honest, yeah. you know, if you ask me, hey, have you ever heard of Amarillo, Texas? Be like, yeah, no. 16 in high school, be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here on Long Island. Um, you know, but it's but it's been a beautiful journey. You know, it really, really has. And I loved it. I mean, I love Amarillo. Um, I love Corpus. I love St. Louis. I mean, they've been really important uh, places to me. Um and, and instrumental in my in my development as a human, as a professional, as a broadcaster, and yeah. um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade the journey 
for anything. I mean, it's been a beautiful, interesting journey. Um, but, you know, will I settle down in, in one spot? Work, work is going to dictate that um, over the next few years. But, of course, like, you know, I could see myself in a lot of places. And, and also, you know, the traveling for baseball especially has, has let me see so many great cities. I mean, like, you know, we go to Tulsa. I love Tulsa. I mean, I could see myself in Tulsa. You know, yeah. we, go to, we go to so many great places. Um, and uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But, um, yeah, I, I, one of these days I will, uh, quote, unquote, settle down a little bit more. But just have to see what happens. I am so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Aw, oh, dude. She's probably gonna break up with you. He's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used tick pick. Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.